God bless the United States. <laughs> God bless you, Mr. President. God bless you. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with From you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. In Oregon on 91.7 FM, KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ Radio 90.1. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, amongst other fine affiliates across this planet. Five days a week, most weeks, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, back for our first live broadcast of 2018. We made it. We We made it, just <laughs> barely, but we made it. Chinny-chin-chin. Uh, good, yeah, good to, good to be back, sort of. I know, uh, thank you, by the way, to all the folks who have been writing us, say, when are you coming back? When are you going to be? Yes. We, we only took a day or two off. Everybody was freaking out, but it is good to be missed. Yes, thank you for noticing. Thank you for noticing, <laughs> indeed. We're uh, happy-ish to be back. But I've got to tell you, Desi Doyen, why does it seem like whenever we take one or two days off, it seems to take like a week to catch up with everything that we missed. Uh, because there's a volcano of news happening at all times. And if we don't keep on it every single day, then Everything gets uh, thrown off. It was a hell in a uh, yeah. handbasket. It, it, it's, it's true. It's true. It doesn't make a lot of sense these days, but that's what it seems like. So, Happy New Year. Happy 2018 to all. Somehow, it's got to be better than 2017, right? <laughs> Don't answer that question. Don't answer it. We'll just go with the idea that it's going to be better than 2017. Positive thinking. By the way, my thanks to uh, Angie Coiro for sitting in for us to allow us a day or so off. Uh, we needed uh, a, a much-needed break to look the other direction, and so I hope everyone within earshot had a pleasant New Year break in any event. Thanks to uh, Angie. And I'll tell you, um, well, we were supposed to be taking some downtime over the weekend, and I managed... To fail to do so, at least at least for long. You know, this time it was not my fault. I don't think it was my fault since the Alabama Secretary of State, John Merrill, decided to tweet me over the holiday weekend as I was largely minding my own business uh, for a change. So that resulted in this crazy, this crazy Twitter conversation between the state's chief election official and myself 
which a number of folks on Twitter have referred to uh, since then as simply bonkers. Uh, and incredibly, or maybe not so incredibly, I don't know, at the end of which, or, or sort of in the middle of which, the Alabama Secretary of State, John Merrill, decided to block me entirely oh, wow. on Twitter. That's so the I, fun of being a journalist I could, So I can no longer see. I can't be a journalist uh, when it comes to covering elections in Alabama because I can't see what the Alabama Secretary of State has to say, at least not easily. I will have details on that remarkable exchange shortly and then we'll be joined by someone else who was blocked by uh, by Merrill on Twitter many weeks before I was he's an election law professor and he's not the only election law professor that Merrill has blocked uh, also on Twitter it's it's kind of crazy uh, secretary Republican Secretary of State seems like a nice enough guy apparently doesn't like to hear when he's uh, wrong on the law and the facts. Doesn't like being questioned. Sound like anybody Doesn't else, like you any- know? Yeah. Uh, so it seems like this is a thing that this guy does. Anyway, details on that. Uh, and the University of Kentucky's similarly blocked election law professor, Josh Douglas, will join us in a bit. Of course, everyone uh, seems to be talking today. Uh, <laughs> social media users uh, were very quick to mock President Donald Trump, speaking of Twitter, speaking of people who uh, can't admit when they've got something wrong, (laughs) uh, they've been uh, uh, sort of making fun of him for the past, what, 24 hours or so since uh, since this tweet on Tuesday night where he he boasted that he has a, quote, much bigger nuclear button the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, because, you know, that's hilarious, right? Oh, boy. What's funnier than a nuclear standoff between nuclear powers both run by idiots? Oh, yeah, happy 2018. That's where we are. Uh, Trump tweeted, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just stated that the nuclear button is on his desk at all times. Will someone from his depleted and food-starved regime please inform him that I, too, have a nuclear button, but it is much bigger and much more powerful than his, and my button works? Well, uh, well see, you're laughing. I don't <laughs> no, think this I is know. particularly it, it funny. Is not, Maybe it is it's not just funny. Me. It is not funny from Maybe, a no, geopolitical I, I, security standpoint. It's this, not funny at all. Well, <laughs> but you're giddy. You're giddy because we're coming up. Anyway, Trump's tweets uh, were in response to uh, Kim, who had said in a New Year's Day speech that the international community must accept the, quote, reality of North Korea as a nuclear armed nation. Kim also threatened the U.S. in that speech, saying that the entire U.S. mainland is, quote, within our nuclear strike range. Kim said the U.S. should know that the button for nuclear weapons is on my table. And, of course, social media went crazy. Twitter, everyone else. I don't know if John Merrill, the Secretary of State of Alabama, had anything to say because I'm not allowed to see him him anymore. Uh, But, yeah, so a lot of jokes about, you know, Donald Trump comparing the size of his button to right. Kim Jong-un's. You know, and, I, and I was laughing just because, you know, it only looks big because of, it's in perspective to his tiny, tiny hands. That's all I was see, thinking. Yeah, sorry. see, and there I'm was sorry. people just like you <laughs> I know. making those jokes on the Twitter machine uh, for uh, the past, uh, whatever, 12 hours it's been. So all hilarious, but frankly, uh, this response from journalist and uh, TV writer-producer David Simon uh, kind of speaks for me here. David Simon tweeted, uh, for all of you sharing this fragile orb 
and premising your tomorrows on the notion that no two men in key positions of authority could be so small, empty, and stupid as to risk the mass immolation of tens of millions in an adolescent blank measuring contest. Well, dream on, Rubes. I think he's got it right. Yeah, he I does. think while it's hilarious, it's not hilarious in the least. And, uh, you know, and this includes this is even if you think that Donald Trump is sane enough not to do something stupid like uh, launch an attack, <clears throat> nuclear or otherwise, against North Korea, because now you've got him still threatening uh, Kim Jong-un, who could misread anything, misread a, a, t a test launch of something to be a rocket and uh, launch a nuclear weapon, if in fact he has them. Now, earlier on Tuesday... South Korea proposed holding talks with North Korea next week in Panmunjom, which is a village that straddles the border between these uh, the, both North Korea and South Korea, which have been hostile since the ending of the Korean War, which, by the way, never really ended. There's an armistice, there's a, a truce, but there's never been a peace treaty. So they are, you know, still on a hair trigger response for the last, what, what are we at, 65 years or yeah. something since the Korean War ended. Um, and yet South Korea, while Donald Trump is talking about the size of his nuclear weapons, um, South Korea reached out to North Korea to begin holding talks in advance of the upcoming Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, South Korea, that begin next month. Yes, there is going to be Winter Olympics in South Korea as Donald Trump is threatening nuclear annihilation against North Korea and vice versa. So it looks like uh, North Korea is now agreeing. This is good news. North Korea looks to be agreeing to uh, begin to have uh, some talks I think they're starting with the with the Olympics uh, and uh, how it is and the possibility of uh, North Korean athletes participating in an Olympics being held in South Korea. This would be the first official dialogue between the Koreas in at least two years in what leaders in Seoul hope could dampen the talk of war that has consumed the past few months, thanks to the guy with the little hands. I'll let you decide which one, uh, which uh, which crazy person which that is, crazy leader with <laughs> nuclear weapons that may be. By any measure, Trump is uh, correct that the U.S. has a far more powerful nuclear arsenal than North Korea. The New York Times notes, but even so, Pyongyang could wreak widespread devastation with an attack. Even a conventional war could result in hundreds of thousands of casualties on the Korean Peninsula, according to uh, national security analysts which is one reason why South Korea's president, Moon Jae-in, is more eager for dialogue with North Korea than Donald Trump appears to be. Because, you know, South Korean people would die first long before a North Korean missile ever reached Washington, D.C., or whatever golf course Donald Trump happened to be on that day. Uh, many security experts have said there is no reasonable military option for restraining North Korea that would not involve an unacceptable loss of life. And by the way, we have tens of thousands of U.S. troops uh, in Japan and on the Korean Peninsula. So um, nonetheless, uh, Trump and his national security advisor, uh, Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster have argued otherwise that there could be some sort of uh, some sort of military option 
They like to keep that hope open, that hope alive. The hope alive for for, for military a military option. option. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be what they're trying to do. Apparently so. So, you know, all hilarious uh, and maybe, I mean, have I ruined 2018 already <laughs> by, you know, not thinking this is just uh, absolutely hysterical? No. I'd like to think, if nothing else, hey, we haven't through, uh, what, mid-late February until the Olympics are over. Surely neither of these idiots involved would uh, would launch a war before then, right? Right? That's what I thought. Uh, okay, uh, so that uh, ruined my plans to try to, and and this is what he does. This is what Donald Trump does. He trolls all of us. He trolls you. He trolls me. He says stuff on uh, on the twitters that makes everybody stop what they're doing and pay attention to whatever it is, that, whatever stupid thing that he says. And I try to avoid that. I try to not take the Twitter bait. But, uh, you know, in this case, uh, I felt like I, I had to. Uh, however, I, since I mentioned as that uh, there's all of these things, they did a whole bunch of stuff. While we were looking the other way, while we were looking at his tweets, while we were looking at his celebrations down in Mar-a-Lago, um, his administration was gutting a whole bunch of stuff, gutting a whole bunch of regulations. They were doing it on a Friday before... Um, uh, before New before Year's. the holiday, yep. yeah, when people wouldn't notice. We will try as the week goes on. I know you're going to cover some of them in our upcoming Green News report. We'll yep. try to try to get to some of uh, some of those things that they did while you and I were at least trying to look the other way. And he still doesn't want us to notice because Monday he tweeted uh, or he tweets that this Monday he's going to have the all caps most dishonest and corrupt media awards of the year on Monday at five o'clock. This is the president of the United States. He says subjects will cover dishonesty and bad reporting in various categories from the fake news media. Stay tuned. And, of course, we will all be staying tuned on Monday. I'm going to try to not stay tuned. I'm going to try to keep our eyes on things that matter, like voting and like keeping our eyes on ballots and being able to oversee our own elections while Donald Trump is trolling the world. Speaking of keeping our eyes on uh, on our ballots and uh, basically uh, trolling or being trolled on Twitter, we'll take a quick break and I'll tell you what happened with the with me and the Alabama Secretary of State over the weekend on Twitter. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. 
Alabama. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. All right, Alabama's first Democratic senator in 25 years, Doug Jones, was sworn in to the U.S. Senate on Wednesday following the highly contentious December 12 special election in that state, which the Republican candidate Roy Moore has still refused to concede despite reportedly losing by uh, some one and a half uh, percentage points, according to the state's computerized paper ballot tabulator. Uh, Jones, the Democrat, takes the seat vacated by Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions when he was tapped to become Trump's attorney general. That, along with the swearing in of Minnesota's Democratic Lieutenant Governor Tina Smith as a senator on Wednesday to fill the seat Vacated, sadly, by Senator Al Franken uh, amidst allegations of inappropriate sexual misconduct before he was a U.S. senator. Those two uh, swearings in on Wednesday narrow the GOP majority in the upper chamber of Congress to an even slimmer 51-49 in a year when Republicans, in order to get most anything passed, will have to receive at least 60 votes in order to overcome a filibuster, unlike the gimmicks that they were able to use in 2017 to try and kill Obamacare uh, and um, successfully pass their giant tax cuts for mostly corporations and the rich with just uh, 50 votes. But uh, they'll have to do that now with uh, 60 votes instead, unless they pull some more gimmicks like that. Uh, like they did last year. Uh, in any event, as noted, Roy Moore is still questioning whether he really lost that December 12 race, charging with little evidence that some form of massive voter fraud took place to keep the far right winger from winning what should have been an easy, uh, a totally easy Republican victory in uh, at least the once deeply red state of Alabama. Now, as you'll recall, in the run-up to that race in December, a last-minute multi-partisan lawsuit uh, was filed in a state circuit court, and that resulted in that state circuit court ordering rule, uh, uh, ruling ordering the Alabama Secretary of State, John Merrill, a Republican Roy Moore supporter, to send, essentially all he had to do was send a note to county election officials telling them, please flip a software switch on your computer tabulators to set it to retain all captured ballot images captured. Uh, these images are captured as they go through the optical scanner and uh, the computer then reads that captured image and tallies the vote. But after that order was issued, Secretary of State John Merrill went to the state Supreme Court within hours without the plaintiffs present and got that uh, Supreme Court to stay the lower court's order so that the images, well, they were captured by the machines, but they were not retained so that if there was any question about the results, about uh, the, the paper ballots themselves, had they been uh, changed, doctored in any way, Roy Moore might want to know. Those images were not kept. They were done away with. At some point, um, when I had mentioned something about all of this online, Desi Doyen, <laughs> and I don't even know what it was. I'm not, I've forgotten now what it was that he was responding to, but Secretary of State John Merrill apparently saw something that I had tweeted 
and he decided to respond to me directly on Twitter. And this happened over the holiday weekend. I was minding my own business, trying to enjoy the weekend. Trying to answer questions when people ask. I wasn't even I wasn't even looking at Twitter. I happened to turn it on and see that, oh, John Merrill has jumped in and uh, said something to me, Secretary of State uh, of Alabama. And then this crazy conversation ensued that, um, well, let me just uh, plow through this Twitter uh, thread before we bring on somebody to talk about this and to talk about what actually happened. So John Merrill jumps in. He says, according to state law, we actually preserve the actual ballots for 22 months after the election. Well, that's that's right. That's federal law. They better. Yeah, they better keep those ballots. Uh, they didn't, down, by the way, down in Florida, as we talked about a, a few weeks ago. But I digress. So Merrill says, we keep them for 22 months. We keep the actual ballots. Our machines do not capture or preserve the digital ballot images. Now, that is wrong. Uh, they do capture the digital ballot images. Whether they preserve them or not is up to, you know, whether they turn on this switch, which he went to the Supreme Court to have his county uh, election officials not turn on the switch. So he knows that there's a switch that he could turn on, that he could order them I to turn on. I think he would know. Uh, so, which is what I responded. I said, Mr. Secretary on Twitter, are you saying the ESNS DS200s, those are the ones they use across much of the state, uh, that they do not capture ballot images because ESNS says otherwise? And if they don't preserve them, it's because you went to Alabama Supremes, the Alabama Supreme Court, to get such an order the day before the Alabama Senate election. No? I thought it was very polite. Yeah. I, I called him Mr. Secretary. He says, no, you are incorrect. Our machines are not programmed to capture the images. They have not been programmed to capture the images. They are not programmed to capture the images. They will not be programmed to capture the images. We keep the original ballots for 22 months. Any questions? Which is not a very nice way to respond. Well, that's but all right. He can yeah, respond any way he, he wants. He can be a little snarky, but, you know, yeah. So but he's wrong. I know. And that's what I said. I said, I didn't ask if they are programmed to do so. As you know, the circuit court ordered you to instruct county clerks to turn on the switch to retain all ballot images captured by the machines, which capture all ballots, I noted. Why did you get the Supremes, uh, the Supreme Court to stay that order? I asked him. He responded, we preserve the original ballots, not a digital Im- image of the ballots. I really have a hard time understanding why that is so difficult for anybody to understand. The original ballot is better than a digital image. And I would agree with him. It is better. It's the original ballot. Presuming the chain of custody for these paper ballots has been kept secure. But that wasn't my point. He was misinforming the public, telling people that they don't capture the images, that their machines do not capture the images. And he was just wrong. Mind you, this is the chief election official in the state of Alabama misinforming the public. So I responded, one, you stated incorrectly that Alabama scanners do not capture ballot images. Two, you went to court to keep images from being retained. Three, those images, not the original ballots, are used to tabulate results. And four, both should be retained for 22 months after the election. Five, why did you oppose that? (laughs) 
Exactly. I mean, when you have the option to have more records, more data to preserve what actually happened in an election, why wouldn't you? And I'm just wondering why he opposed that, because I really don't understand yeah. why he didn't or, you know, why he, he did oppose it, why he went to the court to get this. To say, no, absolutely order. not. We do not want those records. His response, they do not capture the images because they're not programmed to capture the images. Right. I do. He's repeating. I did not need to go to court to keep something from being captured that is unavailable to be captured. The Supreme Court agreed. We have the original ballots. What is your problem? I replied, of course they capture ballot images. That's how the results are determined. Surprised you don't know that, but you fought to keep them from being retained, which means citizens can't review results shown on those images. Why are you seemingly against such citizen oversight? And he just repeats. The images are not captured and retained, and they will not be captured and retained. So they are captured. They're just not retained. Yeah. And he won't admit that. And I said as much. Well, they're not retained because you went to the Alabama Supreme Court to make sure they are not retained. So this goes back and forth and back and forth. Somebody jumps into this conversation, says, Brad, what's your point? I said, point is, John Merrill, Secretary of State of Alabama, is misinforming the public about Alabama voting systems and ballot and ballot images, which could be used by the public to oversee election results, which is especially important, I noted, in states like Alabama that makes such citizen oversight virtually impossible. And it is virtually impossible to actually look at those paper ballots. They don't allow... Um, uh, uh, hand counts after the election. If there is a some sort of a recount, they are run through the same computers. And over the computers again. will maybe or maybe not give you the same or a different answer, right. and which may or may not be accurate. So basically, I was just trying to say, why aren't you telling the truth? I was trying to be as polite as I could. This guy writes back, uh, the one who asked, what's your point? Uh, he writes back to say, more lost. And he included a picture of a dancing, a, a gif of a, of a guy dancing because he was so happy. And I said, well, listen, I'm very happy about that. But that has nothing to do with my conversation with Secretary Merrill. This isn't about who won or lost. Election integrity is not about uh, left and right. It's about right and wrong. It's about public oversight. And that's what this uh, lawsuit was originally filed by, you know, by a multipartisan group of people who wanted to make sure there would be some way to oversee the elections. If they're not going to let them see the paper ballots and they're going to keep those secure, they certainly could release these digital images. They could put them on the website so they can be read. And Roy Moore, Doug Jones, every citizen, you, me, could count the ballots ourselves if we wanted to. Well, uh, John Merrill then jumped back in to say, we have had the most transparent election process of any state in the union. The entire nation has been watching our entire proceedings. It can't be any more transparent and we can't be any more accountable. I have been as <laughs> patient as you with I can uh, as patient with you as I can be. Your window is now closed. And then he blocked me on Twitter. Man. So I could no longer see anything that he had to say. He actually went back and uh, looks like deleted some of his tweets. I, I was just kind of amazed at it's, all of this. It's kind of gobsmacking. And other people were amazed uh, at it, too. But uh, I apparently am not the only one who the Secretary of State of Alabama has done this to. He has done this to other people. He has done this to election law experts. 
uh, also after having you know given false statements instead of just correcting the statements, he blocks them on Twitter. Let's take a quick break here, and we will come back with more on this story, which to me was absolutely, uh, the word keeps coming to my head, bonkers, because I think one of the people who were watching it on Twitter described it as bonkers. We'll take a quick break, and we will come back uh, with more on this story and uh, someone else, an actual election expert, not just, you know, me, not just a broadcaster, blogger, a guy who's been covering this for 15 years, but an election law professor who was similarly blocked by the top election official in the state of Alabama. Joshua A. Douglas will join us next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, after that bizarre Twitter exchange, uh, which I thought was a a polite one that I had with the Secretary of State of Alabama, John Merrill, over uh, over the New Year's holiday weekend, as detailed in our previous segment, Merrill blocked me on Twitter. Blocked me entirely, which means he will no longer see any tweets from me, but more to the point, I... As a journalist covering Alabama elections and everybody else's can no longer see what he, the state's top election official, tweets, at least not easily. Happily, a number of other folks on Twitter noticed this bizarre exchange, including Merrill's repeated insistence that the paper ballot computer scanners used across much of the state of Alabama did not capture so-called ballot images, which They do. In fact, the day before the December 12 election between Republican Roy Moore and Democrat Doug Jones for the U.S. Senate last month, a state circuit court ordered Merrill to send a message to all county election officials instructing them to set their computer scanners to retain all of those ballot images that are captured during tabulation so that those images might be available for the public to review if necessary, especially since it's so hard for the public to be able to review the original paper ballots. Merrill instead, uh, after that ruling, went to the Alabama Supreme Court that night, ex parte, meaning without the plaintiffs even present, to receive a stay on that circuit court order so that the counties did not have to set their computer scanners to retain all ballot images, which the plaintiffs had argued were part of the election materials that need to be retained for 22 months after uh, any federal election as per federal election law. In fact, as the plaintiffs had successfully argued at the lower court, it is those captured digital images, not the paper ballots themselves, which are used by the computers to determine election results and who won or lost in the state of Alabama. Anyway, after the bizarre exchange in which Secretary Merrill repeatedly insisted to me that Alabama ballot scanners did not capture ballot images, 
A number of other folks on Twitter rung in, apparently as uh, as stunned as I was about the entire conversation and Merrill's blatantly inaccurate denial. Twitter user John Panzer wrote, Jesus H. Christ, is this real? Merrill is simply sticking his fingers in his ears and singing la 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 in this extraordinary Q&A. Of course, the machines capture images, he wrote. They have they have to in order to interpret them, interpret them. They have an option to save the images for further review. Panzer said it's literally part of the advertised functionality of the machines. It's a standard function. Merrill is simply lying and deflecting. And if you want a forensic audit of what went wrong, if something does go wrong, of course you save the data that was used. Another user who goes by the name Occam's Toothbrush simply noted, Astonishing exchange? Bonkers. It was not, however, the first time that Merrill had blocked folks on Twitter, journalists, or election law experts. Uh, from reading his tweets or seeing theirs. Shortly after Democrat Doug Jones's stunning defeat of Roy Moore in the December 12 special U.S. Senate election in Alabama, as Moore announced that he might try to contest the results, the well-respected UC Irvine election law professor Rick Hassan reviewed Alabama state election code before taking to Twitter to note that the state election law appeared to not allow a candidate for federal office in Alabama to contest results or ask for a recount. A recount would only be available to such a candidate in a federal race for the Senate or the House in Alabama if the margin was less than half of 1%. In this case, Jones appeared to have defeated more by 1.5%. Nonetheless, that evening, Merrill took to CNN to inaccurately tell the anchor, I think it was Brooke Baldwin at the time, uh, that, well, Moore could ask for a recount if he wanted. There's always a chance of a recount because any candidate can ask for a recount, and if they pay for it, but they can Merrill receive a recount. But appears to be wrong about that as well, at least according to Hassan. Uh, and uh, Hassan had sought for Merrill to clarify his position as the state's chief election law official. Instead, Merrill simply blocked Professor Hassan, one of the nation's leading election law experts on Twitter. But he was not the first to be blocked by Secretary of State John Merrill. After my exchange with him, University of Kentucky law professor Josh Douglas tweeted to me, join the club and cited his own case of being blocked by Secretary Merrill even earlier, well before the December 12 election. So what the heck is going on here? And is this the sort of thing that we should now expect from politicians in 2018, a crucial midterm election year? Whenever they simply don't like a demonstrably provable statement from someone on Twitter? And is it even legal for a public official to keep the media from being able to read his or her official statements on Twitter? Donald Trump has apparently done the same thing to many uh, readers. Should we expect more of this? Here to help us understand what the heck is going on and to discuss other related election law issues as we head into 2018 is Joshua A. Douglas. He is a professor who teaches and researches election law, voting rights law, constitutional law, and judicial decision-making at the University of Kentucky College of Law. He has published in many of the nation's top legal journals, has contributed to the New York Times, USA Today, CNN, Reuters, Washington Post, and many others. And he is the co-editor of the book Election Law Stories, detailing a number 
of the most significant cases in recent American election law. Professor Douglas, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me. It is uh, g- good to be in the same club with you. Glad I'm not in the same state with you, because I know it's freezing out there these right now in Kentucky. But uh, good to be in the same club. Why were you blocked by Secretary of State John Merrill? Yeah, it is an interesting club to be in and, and quite a bizarre set of circumstances. Yeah. Uh, Secretary Merrill blocked me after an exchange I had with him uh, in the lead-up to the Alabama Senate election mm-hmm. uh, between Roy Moore and Doug Jones. Uh, what happened is that I noticed um, that several of his constituents, everyday Alabama voters, were asking him things on Twitter involving the election. And there was one question about whether uh, if someone voted uh, for a street ticket on the ballot that it said, I want all uh, Republicans, mm-hmm. but then also voted for Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. Because Doug Jones was the only... Democrat or the the Senate race was the only race on the ballot. The question that a voter had was, well, does my vote count? Does it vote? Does it count for Doug Jones? Does it count for Roy Moore? Since I put all Republicans, mm-hmm. and in um, through this exchange, uh, Merrill said, no, your vote would count for Doug Jones. Um, but then he also said to these voters, but if you keep uh, spreading these falsehoods about what would happen, I'm going to uh, cut you off from corresponding with me on Twitter. Uh, and so that was, for me, the strange thing that I saw was the Secretary of State, in responding to voters about valid questions they had involving Alabama election law, threatening to block them. And then I started scrolling and looking at some of the threads, and in fact, people then said, I just was blocked by John Barrell. Uh, and so he apparently did actually block his own constituents from corresponding with him on Twitter after they asked him questions and I think there's one person in particular, uh, because he had said something like, you know, stop lying to the public, Mm -hmm. Merrill said, I'm not lying, and then if you keep saying that, I'm going to block you, and then he blocked you. So I wrote... Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I was going to ask. I mean, it's kind of amazing, uh, particularly, by the way, since those are good questions. People are still confused about what happens when you choose to vote a straight party ticket for Republican or Democrat, and then you uh, choose uh, specifically choose a candidate, perhaps, of the other party, and how those would be counted. Those sound like perfectly legitimate questions, particularly from his own constituents, uh, to ask to the Secretary of State. Uh, only to, you know, get blocked by him. So in one sense, I mean, it's one thing for, uh, you know, me as a journalist, you as an election law expert to be blocked, but he's even blocking his own constituents. You raised that point with him, and and then what happened? Yeah, so I, I basically retweeted it and tagged him and said, very concerning for Secretary of State who runs the election is to be blocking his own constituents. Uh, when asking about election questions. And Merrill wrote back and said something to the effect of, well, you know, if you uh, don't mind people lying, then, you know, go ahead, but I'm not going to allow it. And this went back and forth a couple times where I said, you know, it's not about lying, it's about asking questions of a public official running their election. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing I knew, I was blocked myself. Uh, So kind of ironically, Merrill blocked me for questioning whether he should be allowed to block others uh, on Twitter who are trying to interact with him about the election. So you were sort of pointing out, uh, as you note, you went out and, and wrote about this disturbing exchange uh, at AL.com, which is part of the, uh, I think it's the Alabama Media Group, uh, their, their main website, AL.com. 
uh, charging that he was violating election norms uh, and that it was ironic that he would block you for pointing out that blocking people may raise First Amendment concerns. Did you get any response uh, after not that? Not from, from Merrill. Him? Yeah, not from Merrill himself. I mean, I got a lot of responses from people in Alabama who mm-hmm. were quite pleased to, that, that I was exposing this. Uh, either they had been blocked or they'd heard about it, and also from a lot of people who, um, who had not heard that Merrill was doing this and thought it was really improper. Now, of course, I had... A handful of people respond to me uh, to tell me that I should stay in Kentucky and stay out of Alabama affairs, mm-hmm. and I had no business talking about it. But uh, honestly, that was the minority of the responses I personally received. Um, and what was most interesting to me were the people who had no idea that this was happening, and that was really my goal in writing this piece for AL.com, was to expose. I thought it was important for Alabama voters to know what their top election official was doing. Yeah, and by the way, he said something similar to me uh, in our exchange that, oh, if I want your opinion or that of a uh, of a law professor in California, I think he was talking about uh, UC Irvine's Rick Hass in there, uh, uh, we'll let you know. I was, uh, it was really bizarre, and to underscore how this is actually a bigger problem than, you know, just being blocked, uh, Josh Douglas, I had to... Uh, I wanted you to, uh, you know, to be able to see the full exchange before you joined us on air to talk about this, because I know that you're blocked by him. So you, at best, were able to see my side of the conversation, not his side of the conversation. So I wanted to send you that uh, that dialogue between he and I. But guess what? I can't see his part of the conversation anymore, and he's deleted a whole bunch of tweets. So it was not easy to sort of reconstruct that conversation and send it to you so you could take a look at it. Was that, uh, I think you have now taken a look at it. I think, I agree with that Twitter user, it was kind of bonkers. Is it Was that the, uh, well, did you have a similar idea when uh, reviewing that uh, dialogue? You know, I did because, you know, it was just so bizarre. This is a journalist asking him to clarify what appears to me a misunderstanding, instead of saying, okay, let's figure out where we're not able to see eye to eye, mm-hmm. or let me explain why I think this is the, uh, the rationale, he just sort of stuck, stuck to his guns and said, no, this is the way it is, because I know. Um, which is not the sort of thing that inspires confidence in the person running your elections. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is that I had the same problem after I was blocked. Uh, in terms of trying to find the conversation that led to, to me being blocked, I had a friend uh, take some screenshots for me. Yeah, uh, and because otherwise I couldn't see it. Yeah, I mean it is uh, at at the very least inconvenience. Uh, at worst, it does raise some First Amendment issues, which I want to ask you about. But I want to just note this. Um, uh, this exchange, well, this 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 issue that happened with Rick Hassan when he pointed out election law, because your problem happened uh, before that. Uh, Hassan appeared uh, to note that Alabama, that uh, John Merrill was wrong about recount law. As far as I know, John Merrill has never corrected that, to my knowledge, and he even told the media. Uh, the day before New Year's, I think, that Roy Moore, well, he did not exercise his right to ask for a recount, but Moore has no such right under state law, correct? And that was what Hassan got blocked by the Secretary of State for for pointing out. Yeah, and and what's interesting about that is that the law is not 100% clear in terms of it says you may not 
select a recount or ask for a recount under these circumstances. Mm -hmm. You actually have to do reference a couple different statutes and put them together right. um, to, to get the sense that these are the kinds of people or these are the candidates who can request a recount. That's the sort of thing that law professors are doing all the time. Um, and, you know, Merrill should be at least open if he, if he misunderstood that or misread it. That's fine. People do that all the time. But, you know, it would be a lot better if you were to step back and say, okay, there's this expert who's pointing this out. Let me take another look uh, and let me see if I'm understanding the statute correctly or not, or the combination of statutes. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing, you know, I'm a snarky blogger, journalist, broadcaster, I guess you could, I, although I thought I was pretty polite with him. Uh, but, you know, it's one thing to, to I guess, block me. But, uh, you know, Hassan was very polite, pointed out that he was wrong on his in his statement on CNN asked him if you might correct that, and instead he was simply blocked. So is there a legal issue, Josh Douglas, with, uh, with well, Merrill deleting tweets, but more to the point blocking people like you, like me, a journalist, like his own constituents, because he's not the only one doing it. As I understand, Donald Trump has been doing the same to people who uh, tweet things that he does not like. Are, are we dealing with some constitutional First Amendment issues at this point? I think we, we very potentially are dealing with serious First Amendment issues uh, in that if you assume that the person is using their Twitter account as a, a means of public communication, as, as the office, not as just him individually tweeting mm -hmm. pictures or whatever for, him, for his own personal uh, account, but using his account as an official means of communication, mm -hmm. which he clearly is, yeah. because he lists himself as a Secretary of State, he's providing answers about election issues about his job. If he's doing that, then uh, by blocking someone, he's essentially cutting off their speech. Uh, and it's what, what might be referred to as a prior restraint, which is to say, if I'm someone who is concerned that he might block me, mm -hmm. I might be very careful about what I say mm. on Twitter for mm -hmm. fear that he's going to block me. And so that chills my speech. And there's your first amendment concern. His actions as a government official, using his official government communication device, has um, basically threatened to punish users if they don't say things the way that he likes. And that can chill uh, uh, free mm -hmm. expression. Um, I think there's another first amendment problem also, which is, the First Amendment includes a right to petition your government for a redress of grievances. To, to say to your government, you've done something uh, wrong and need to correct the way you're doing things. Mm -hmm. And if he's using Twitter as a way to correspond with constituents, yet he blocks someone, that person no longer has at least that particular avenue uh, for seeking the government to redress their grievances. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that you can't go through other avenues to communicate, but I think it raises some First Amendment problems if you're cutting off that one avenue, especially if it's one of your main avenues of doing so. Have there been any uh, court rulings on this one where, well, actually, let me put it this way. Do we know, has uh, anybody tried to take specifically John Merrill to court on any of these issues? Um, but uh, in a broader sense, has there been any court uh, rulings when it comes to blocking people on Twitter, whether it's John Merrill, Secretary of State of Alabama, or Donald Trump, President of the United States? Well, I'm not aware of anyone filing suit against Merrill, uh, but I do know that there have been lawsuits filed against Donald Trump that are making their way through the courts on this very issue. And interestingly, the White House has admitted in other court cases, like in the travel ban cases, that Donald Trump's tweets are 
statements of official White House policy. Mm-hmm. So there you get past the hurdle of, is this actually government communication? Because I think that would be the defense. It's like, you know, this is, this is my personal account. I'm at real Donald Trump, or I'm mm-hmm. at John H. Merrill. Uh, so this is my personal account. I'm not acting as the government. Um, the the uh, White House has, has admitted that its tweets, that his tweets are official White House policy. I think there's a very strong argument uh, for Merrill, again, given the way he's using his Twitter feed. Um, and uh, so the one against uh, Donald Trump is, is still working its way through the courts. You know, where I am here in Kentucky, uh, the governor, uh, Tea Party Republican, Matt B- uh, Bevin, mm-hmm. uh, is also a, a kind of big Twitter user and also, also blocked lots of people on the platform. Amazingly, I have not yet been blocked by Matt Bevin, but there have been lawsuits against him as well, already filed and working their way through the courts. There's one case I'm aware of uh, involving a school board, a local school board, I think it was in Virginia, if I'm mm-hmm. uh, remembering correctly, where um, a court actually ruled against the school board for blocking someone from their Facebook page. Uh, it was the, the official school board's Facebook uh, feed, mm-hmm. uh, and the court ruled that it violated the First Amendment to block. So there's one precedent out there on kind of a smaller scale um, involving Facebook, not Twitter. It was the actually official account uh, from Facebook. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting to see what happens to these cases involving Donald Trump and, uh, and Kentucky's governor. So I think, actually, um, there's a study done by ProPublica of government officials blocking people on Twitter, and Kentucky's governor was the number one uh, highest person to uh, the, the, the most people blocked on Twitter. Well, I knew Matt Bevin was number one at something. Uh, I guess that, <laughs> I guess that's it. Uh, I, I've got uh, just a, a few minutes here, uh, Josh. I want to sort of. Uh, I mean, this is incredibly distracting. I mean, ultimately, you know, it, it feels like it's it's stupid, it's dumb behavior by a Secretary of State, but. I think there are bigger issues here, and you mentioned that case in Virginia where, you know, a local school board can stop someone from being able to see what the local school board is doing. That seems to me to be very troubling. But uh, in in the few minutes we got here, let me see if I can hit some actual substance on elections. I want to get to Virginia in a second, but uh, just to finish up for the moment uh, with Alabama, any idea why... Merrill would argue so hard against retaining those ballot images. He said they don't capture him. I believe he's wrong. But he he did go to the Alabama Supreme Court to get an order to essentially allow county election officials to destroy those ballot images. Uh, In this case, they they might have been very helpful to the Republican, Roy Moore. So he's still contesting the election. He could look at the ballots uh, as they were originally scanned to determine that, you know, if in fact any of them were changed or something during the chain of custody or some such. I think we're going to see a lot more about uh, ballot images and their retention around the country. Any idea why an election official like him would fight so hard to even keep counties from retaining them? The only thing I can think of is that he just doesn't want other people to tell him how to run elections in his state. Um, and he sort of got a little bit of a hubris uh, about that, because from a, a technical and election administration perspective, it makes no sense uh, not to want to retain images for a couple of weeks uh, after the election. So I, I just think John Merrill is, he seems to be the type of person who doesn't like to be told what to do, um, uh, certainly by people who he thinks are outsiders, uh, outside of the state. Other than that, I can't think of a good election administration reason to do it. He's, uh, uh, he, now, I'll, yeah. I will say real quick that you know I think Merrill 
has exhibited a streak of wanting to have good election administration in some circumstances, right? So there was this example that some people were plotting at, uh, trotting out of this uh, of voter fraud based on a video from election night mm-hmm. where this young person said, you know, we, we, we came from all over the country as part of our fellowship and, and got Doug, Doug Jones elected and people were up in arms saying, look, voter fraud. And at least, I think fairly quickly Merrill said, you know, we looked into this and no, there's that, that was an Alabama voter and that doesn't demonstrate any kind of voter fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when he wants to be uh, a steward of good election administration, he's shown the ability to do so. I think it's when people start trying to tell him this is how things need to be done, uh, he, he gets a little defensive. I, I would also posit that uh, Republicans are, you know, they, they've spent many, many years, as you know, Josh, uh, you know, pretending that there was some massive voter fraud uh, issues going on. And so when it comes to voter fraud, they'll look at it. But when it comes to the potential for election fraud, insider election fraud, hacking of the voting machines or simply error of the voting machines, which, you know, these ballot images uh, in theory might help guard against. They seem to be a lot less interested in that and the, the transparency uh, that, that is really needed by the public to be able to oversee our own elections. I mean, do you feel that uh, just, I guess, on a... Well, I guess on a legal level here that those ballot images, they're used to actually count the results. Should they be kept for the 22 months uh, with all of the other uh, election materials as per federal law after an election, as you see it? You know, without a compelling reason not to, I just don't see the harm. And that uh, case, by the way, is still going, uh, moving forward. I mean, he got a stay on that issue before the Senate election, but I've uh, spoken with uh, the, the folks organizing that case in Alabama and uh, I believe they intend to actually use my conversation with Merrill uh, to help inform their their case, which is moving forward. Josh, before I let you go, on Thursday in Virginia, election officials are set to draw a name out of a 19th century urn, I believe, to determine who will be the winner of the 94th District House of Delegates, uh, uh, Virginia House of Delegates race, one of the last to be decided in that state following the off-year elections last November, in which Democrats appear to have closed a, what had been a 66-34 Republican majority in the House, such that it will either be a 50-50 power-sharing split with Republicans, or Democrats may have a 51-49 advantage if the Democrat wins that draw, uh, it had appeared that uh, the Democrat had won that race by a s- one single vote, uh, and then the Republicans came up with another vote that appeared to be an overvote originally with two candidates both marked on the ballot. A court decided that that was actually a Republican vote. It was drawn, and there would be a drawing by lot. Uh, I know you wrote about that race at CNN. Any Any thoughts about... An election being determined by lot and, in fact, the balance of the House of Delegates in the state of Virginia ultimately determined well, this by is lot. A, this is a perfect storm, right, where you have one vote deciding an election which uh, could decide control of the entire state legislature. Um, a couple of thoughts I have on that. One is, you know, people were celebrating the high turnout in Virginia in an off-year election. Uh, I think it was something like 40-some-odd percent, mm-hmm. uh, which is great historically, but to me, not good enough. You know, this, this would be less of likely to be a problem if turnout had been really high, historically mm-hmm. high, astronomically high, which is something that I think 
we need to strive for to get our election administration to the point where we don't have unnecessary hurdles and we have a culture where we're actually going to participate. Uh, so we have more than certainly half of voters showing up. Uh, you know, when we celebrate when it's less than half of the voters show up, I think that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of this specific dispute, I won't be surprised if the drawing does not actually happen on Thursday because the, uh, the Democrats have sued and there's still legal uh, issues to be resolved about whether to count this actual ballot or not. I think there's some concerns about whether this is this particular ballot, which you can find online and you can mm-hmm. see the image and judge for yourself in terms of whether it should be a vote uh, for the Democrat or, or the Republican and whether the, the court got that right, uh, and also procedurally whether the court should have even been allowed to consider that ballot, uh, given that the Republicans initially agreed it was not a, a proper ballot ballot, and then they reversed themselves uh, and convinced the court uh, that the court should, should count, consider it, and count it. Um, so I actually think it's, it's somewhat likely that the courts will get involved here before we have a drawing on Thursday. Um, but if we do have a drawing on Thursday, it'll be you know, obviously interesting to watch and to see what happens. There is, uh, and boy, we we uh, we all, well, we'll have to pick this up with you another time, Josh, because I know there's actually another contest in Virginia in the 28th district, uh, where the Republican is said to have won by about 70 votes, but more than 100 people uh, were apparently given the wrong ballot. Uh, so there could be another chance for either Democrats to pick that up or a revote or something. It's kind of crazy, but in the 30 seconds, totally unfair, but in the 30 seconds we have before I got to get out, Josh, uh, we are heading into this uh, a big election year in 2018. What are the top line biggest concerns you have as we head in? And I promise we'll have you back to talk about them in the future if, you, if you'll join us. Uh, so I'll, I'll just list a couple very quickly. One is continued effort to shape the electorate by making uh, hard, uh, laws that make it harder to vote, so voter ID, uh, registration problems, etc. Um, another thing is going to be whether the losers actually concede. I mean, we see Roy Moore did concede the election. That has no legal significance. But I think it's important for the legitimacy of our elections and for people to accept uh, the, the rules of the game. And then the third is, uh, you know, while there's all, all these voter suppression measures, there's also a lot of positive things going on in making it easier to vote, felon reenfranchisement in Florida being one. So I think it's going to be important to watch the ways in which there's this balance between voter suppression tactics on the one hand and ways of making it easier to vote on the other. Professor Joshua A. Douglas uh, of the uh, University of Kentucky College of Law, author, co-editor of the book Election Law Stories. Uh, Josh, I know you have another book uh, coming out uh, over the next year or so. Uh, Do do you have a title for that one yet? Uh, Just a working title, uh, but that may change. The working title right now is Vote Yes, How Everyday Americans Are Taking Back Our Elections. I promise if you'll come back, we will talk about that in uh, in the future. I think we have some time for that, but I will look forward to that. And uh, Josh Douglas, really appreciate you joining us today. You can find his work at JoshuaADouglas.com. And you can follow him on the Twitters, unless you're the Secretary of State of Alabama, at JoshuaADouglas on Twitter. Hey, Josh, really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me. You bet. Okay, I'm running stupidly late, so let me get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. 
And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. My thanks, huge thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us uh, do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.